I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. This is How Story Works. And today we're going to talk about Tangled. Before we get started talking about Tangled specifically, I want to address our approach to criticism here as we dive into these movies. While I'm going to be giving you my thoughts and opinions on the movies themselves, I'm also going to be talking to you about how I came to those conclusions and why I'm talking about them, so you can think about those things when you approach your own criticism. Now, let's address. There are two types of criticism. First is the criticism you do for yourself because you want to learn about stories and storytelling. This is extremely valuable for writers who want to dive deep into narrative and figure out how it works. Also, you should know you're already doing this. Every time you engage critically with a narrative, even if you never write your thoughts down or share them with another soul, you are critiquing that piece of work and learning from your own responses to it. This kind of criticism, engaging with your own critical thought, is a fun practice, but if you don't do it consciously, you won't get the most out of it. Journaling those thoughts, going to a fan board for discussion, or talking about it with your friends, your kids, your significant other, all of that will help you solidify your thoughts and gain more out of the critical experience. Then there's criticism that you do specifically for others. If you're writing for a website, for a newspaper, doing YouTube videos or podcasts, you're creating criticism for other people. This is criticism you want to think through completely and work through your thoughts before you present them. You need to critique your own work as you're critiquing the work of others and really think about what you say before you say it. When working on criticism, there are a couple of things you want to keep in mind. I like it does not mean it's good. And I don't like it does not mean it's bad. Your personal preferences are going to play a part in your analysis. But the thing about criticism is you need to be as objective as possible while looking at the work that you're critiquing. For instance, I am never going to enjoy watching a horror movie. Horror movies drive me crazy. They make me physically uncomfortable. They make me emotionally upset. At the same time, if I watch a horror movie that's done well, the story is well told, and it does interesting things within the genre, I can definitely appreciate that. So there are times where I don't enjoy a movie, and it might actually be really, really good. I think Cabin in the Woods falls into this category. On the flip side of that, I love romantic comedies. I don't care how bad they are. I'm always going to enjoy it, no matter what it does. So just because I enjoyed it doesn't necessarily mean it was well done. You've Got Mail is an example of that. All right, another thing you're going to want to do is figure out your angle on the critique. For me, when I do criticism, I'm talking about narrative. That's what my audience wants from me. How does the story work? What works in the story? What fails? What could be better? How do you fix it? To that, I will add my thoughts on the societal impact of narrative. How does this story reflect us back at us? What can we learn from that reflection? So when you're doing criticism, you want to think about your primary values. Mine is narrative and everything that entails, including the societal implications of that narrative. What are your primary values? Are you looking at a film from a directorial point of view, analyzing shot composition and editing choices? Are you looking at a novel for its deft handling of prose or its tight storytelling? 
And finally, what do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about feminist issues in modern society, race issues, narrative, the evolution of long-form storytelling in television from the 90s? Think about your angle. For example, there's a podcast about the NBC television series The Good Place called Fork and Bullshirt, produced by Multiverse Radio. I absolutely adore this podcast. The hosts, Vivian and Jason, talk about the story and the characters, but they also have a background in philosophy, and they take the philosophy discussed in the show and expand upon it. Okay, so whether you're a writer critiquing for the purposes of coming to a better understanding of story, or a critic looking to up their game, we're ready to talk about Tangled. Now, in episode 13 of How Story Works, I walked you through the structure of Tangled, so we've already discussed all of those points. Let's talk about the rest of the movie. When I'm looking at a piece of work for critical discussion, the first thing I do is separate out the things that I found interesting in the piece. So I'm going to list those for you here. Now remember, this is about advanced criticism. So I'm showing you how I come to talk about the things I would talk about in criticism, rather than necessarily giving you all of my criticism in a polished manner. I want you to see how it works behind the scenes so you can find your points of interest in the pieces that you discuss and think critically about. So... What did I find interesting in Tangled? Well, the fact that it's Rapunzel's story, but we open with Flynn giving the voiceover history. He's telling the story. Why? Flynn is not the hero of the story. He's the love interest, the sidecar rider. So why are we starting with him? Why are we giving him the ownership over telling the story? Given that Disney princesses tend to be complicated when it comes to feminist issues, I think this is a weirdly incongruent choice. Is there enough meat on that bone for it to be part of my criticism? Maybe, depending on what kind of criticism I'm doing. We really only get him at the beginning and then again at the end. And while I think it's annoying and worthy of note, I'm not sure there's enough there for it to be a really big point. Especially since the rest of the story has Rapunzel leading the charge. She knocks Flynn out with a frying pan. She gets rid of Mother Gothel. She extorts him into taking her to the kingdom to see the lanterns. Rapunzel is full of agency, and she's heartily in charge throughout the story. So this giving the storytelling to Flynn feels more like an odd incongruency, a vestigial patriarchal tale in the storytelling, which is annoying, but not necessarily a huge big deal. The other thing I find really interesting is Mother Gothel as a pseudo-benevolent antagonist. You will recall from episode 6 of How Story Works, protagonist-antagonist, we talked about benevolent antagonists, the people who love the protagonist and want what's best for her, so they block her from her goal in an attempt to protect her. Remember, the antagonist has only one job, block the protagonist. Why she does that doesn't matter, as long as she is fulfilling that role. So, in reality, Mother Gothel is a classic antagonist, but she presents in the beginning as the loving, if overprotective, mother. While we know for sure she's lying and manipulating Rapunzel because we've seen the prologue, this is an interesting wolf-in-sheep's antagonist suit kind of thing, and it's a fun play on the classic villain. What isn't fun is the incredible amount of emotional damage she's inflicting on Rapunzel, which will take years of post-traumatic therapy to work out, but, you know, whatever. We're not going to deal with that. But there's a lot of fun psychological stuff to talk about. And here we have a villain who plays almost entirely on that stage. She overpowers people mentally, not physically. And that's a really crunchy kind of character to play with. 
As a matter of fact, the one time she tries to overpower a character physically, when she's got Rapunzel chained up at the end of the movie, she can't really do it. She struggles to drag a resisting Rapunzel away from Flynn. And while she did stab Flynn, she did that in a surprise attack. There was no physical overpowering there. It's a nice move to make the antagonist have some weaknesses as well. Now, Flynn is kind of a fluff character, there to bring in the jokes and the floppy-haired douchebag smolder. He's established as a thief and a rogue and then becomes something better than that, but we don't really have an established character arc for him. He just sort of flips because Rapunzel is pretty, which isn't terribly convincing. This kind of character, a bad guy healed by the love of a good woman, is a facile and somewhat dangerous trope. So let's look at this character flip next to Rapunzel's genuine character arc. For Rapunzel, she's in the tower. She's been isolated her whole life, and she yearns to go see the lanterns and find out what they mean. Mother Gothel has told her that she's weak, that she can't handle herself. But when she manages to get the best of Flynn with her frying pan, she gets a hint of her own competence and capability that makes her see herself differently. She uses that capability to manipulate Mother Gothel and get rid of her for a few days. Obviously, she's learned some things during those 18 years in the tower. And once she's free, she's not suddenly changed. We see her vacillate wildly between euphoria and guilt and regret as she begins to explore her own capability. In the tavern, it's her authenticity in talking about her dream that gets all the ruffians on their side. And she's able to connect with them through the vulnerability of wishing. Flynn, we may note, is the only one without any real vulnerability. His dream is to live on an island with lots of money. After the tavern adventure, she and Flynn end up trapped in an underground cave filling with water. They are certainly about to die. But Rapunzel once again turns to her capability and uses her glowing hair to help them find a way out. Once they do, once Rapunzel has faced death and comes out on the other side, she's completely changed. And let's not ignore the birth metaphor as they break free from the cave and the baptismal symbolism of the water. It is after that event that Mother Gothel approaches Rapunzel and Rapunzel stands up to her. She says no. This is a test of how much Rapunzel has changed as a result of her adventures. Remember, the role of conflict is to put pressure on the character so that she can change and grow, because without that pressure, any change or growth won't feel right. Which brings us back to Flynn, whose lack of pressure or an arc isn't great in the movie, but is fantastic for our study purposes. We watch as Rapunzel is put under pressure all the way to a life or death situation, and her inner strength and capability fuels her arc into confidence. Flynn starts out as a thief. The first thing we see him do is betray his two partners in crime, and that doesn't speak well for him as an honor among thieves type. He has no honor. In desperation as he's being chased, he climbs the wall to Rapunzel's tower, and from there, he's just following her lead. He tries to manipulate her, first with the smolder, then with the idea that she really wants to go back home, and he fails both times, but he's still the same jerk he was in the beginning. In the tavern, again, his dream is not vulnerable. It's not authentic. It's just about having money and being able to do nothing but spend it all day. However, after Rapunzel heals his hand with her hair, suddenly we're supposed to see him as a good guy. After they've had their song together, which, let's face it, a duet like that is a stand-in for having sex, she gives him the crown and he runs off with it. That all makes sense. But it turns out he's not going to betray her. He's going to be faithful to her. 
Why? Because she's pretty? Because she's the heroine of the story? There is nothing in the story to motivate this kind of essential change in his nature. No real pressure that he's under to make it make sense. We just have him change because we want him to change. And it's that kind of thing with the rogue or anti-hero in a romantic context, especially in a children's movie, that can be very dangerous because it sets up an expectation that someone can and will change without a lot of pressure and a lot of work. It makes the bad boy hero seem terribly romantic instead of what he really is. A loser is going to con you into sleeping with him and then steal your debit card on his way out the door. The thing about a rogue hero is that you have to pay for it with consequence, and the consequences have to apply enough pressure to make the change and the redemption both believable and worth all the trouble. We want the bad boy without having to pay for it with all the hard work it would take for a character like that to truly change. And what that does here is set up some seriously unrealistic romantic expectations in young women. So those are my initial thoughts on Rapunzel and Tangled. What were your thoughts? If you're a Patreon supporter, visit the How Story Works channel in Discord and let's chat about it. I'm excited to hear what you all think. If you're not a Patreon supporter, but you'd like to be, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. A dollar a month will get you into the Discord chat and there's lots of great stuff happening there. All right, that's it for today. Our next movie and our foray into advanced criticism is A Few Good Men. That one's going to be fun. If you have questions about how story works, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with a hashtag HowStoryWorks. Thanks so much and I'll see you next time. Chipperish.